Good morning. How are you? So good to see you. Some of the faces I see in the room, they were helping yesterday at our Castle Rock Collective. Uh, so there's a partnership that is happening between World Orphans and uh, Wellspring here at the church, and we're involved, and several churches are involved. And so we had a big work day. We'll show you some highlights of that next week and give you a glimpse. And if you have not been downtown to see the building, you should just stop down. It's just right on Perry Street, right across from the Emporium. Uh, a lot of days it's open. There's some people in there working, taking care of business, and we're excited about what's happening. So we'll give you a glimpse of that next week. This is our hope as we go through this series, One Verse. If you find yourself occasionally opening up scripture and not knowing where to go for good fruit or maybe how to even drive your walk with God or find a truth that you can begin to build some of your life, your convictions, your thoughts around, then maybe some of these verses will help you. And we're not pulling out one verse because we think that's the most important verse. It's just a verse that can be an anchoring place for you to maybe read a whole chapter or a whole section of scripture. This week is kind of a part two for last week. So if you weren't here last week, then you'll get a little snapshot of it, but you could hop online, of course. All that stuff is on there. Enjoy the worship and everything. But we want to build on where we were. This was last week's verse. It came out of John chapter 6, and Jesus answered this. Of course, in the context of a whole chapter, there's all kinds of things that are happening. But this is the verse we focused on. Jesus answered, the work of God is this to what? Believe in the one he has sent. And what we said last week is this is one of the most surprising things that Jesus said. You would think that Jesus would say the work is, you know, to, to feed those who are hungry or to tell people about salvation or who God is, all of these kinds of things. But Jesus said that there's lots of things you can do, activities, stuff as a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But the work, the hard work is to believe. And if you read the Gospels, my guess is that you would agree with Jesus. It's a, always a good thing when you find yourself agreeing with Jesus. It's a good place to start. Because Jesus said some incredible things that are some days, maybe on your hardest days, maybe on some of your best days, very difficult to believe. I mean, Jesus said, if you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. Jesus said to a man, get up from your mat and walk. He said some things that if we saw them with our eyes, we would find them difficult. We would be absolutely, utterly amazed. And as we read them, to accept them as truth, well, the hard work, Jesus said, is to believe. Now, the verse that we'll look at today, it's out of Matthew chapter 11. It builds on that and takes us a little bit further down the road. If you've come to the place where you say, well, Lord, I, I do believe, I trust, and I know that some of it is hard, but I, I want to take your words at face value, and I want to pattern my life after the way you say to live, things like loving my enemies and forgiving those who hurt me, things like this then this next verse will take you just a bit further down the road. And just a, just a little bit of a warning. It's, it's not a fun road to go down because most of us would like to stay on the positive side of faith, that God is good, amen? Is he good? Of course he's good. Is there something to be thankful for? Are you grateful today? I mean, could you make a list? You know, could you give God all, all kinds of credit for the great stuff that's going on in your life? And in faith, we want to be in that spot often. But of course, life happens. And when the difficulties of life find us, if we don't have a theology that is built to withstand, sustain, 
and help us through those things, then we'll be floundering, wandering, stuck. In fact, we'll find ourselves stumbling. The word is in the verse. The first version of the verse, though, is out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. And this is something that Jesus said. And I believe it's one of the kindest, most compassionate things that Jesus said. Here's what he says. And blessed is the one who is not, what? Offended by me. It's a strange thing. It's an odd thing that Jesus would say. Because when I read the Gospels, I don't get the sense that Jesus is all that worried about offending people. I mean, he looked at a group of people and said, you're a brood of vipers, pile of snakes, right? Not too worried about offending them. He, he called people out in a thousand different ways. There's a whole section in Matthew all that are woes to people, not the most popular sermon, right? And when Jesus says these things, it feels like he's just laying out truth bombs that you know, might offend, might not, but that's not his concern. But at this point in time, Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, when we see this word offended, we take it as a slight, you know. When somebody does something to us, we're a little offended. Somebody calls us out on a sin, we're a little offended. Somebody points out something in us that we don't like in other people and we don't think is a part of our habits or our countenance or our relational patterns, we're a little bit offended. But it's really not, I don't think, the best translation, although I think it starts to get to the idea the best, I think, is really the NIV, and I like the way the translators worded this. Blessed is anyone who does not, what? Stumble on account of me. Now, every one of us have had an experience in faith where we've had to overcome something about faith. It, maybe it's the church we grew up in or a pastor that failed us or somebody that taught us something in church that we later found out wasn't true at all. If you grew up in a religious or church setting, you've had to overcome something about your faith. Maybe you were brought up in a legalistic atmosphere and then you found out that's not how it works. Maybe you got to college and thought that you had to live a certain way to experience God's goodness or his blessing and then found out that was totally fabricated by people who were in religious power just to keep you in line and behaving a certain way. All of us have had to overcome all kinds of things about our faith that have occasionally caused us to stumble. The interesting thing about what Jesus says here, when he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, well, Jesus says this before there's even a church around to mess us up. Before there was even a church around to teach us false ideas about who God is. Jesus isn't talking about Christians and how we might lead each other astray. Jesus is just saying, there's some things in life that are going to happen to you, and they happen on account of me, and they might cause you to stumble. And so blessed are you, content are you, peaceful and Happy are you when you don't allow these things to cause you to stumble. And so the most curious thing that we would have to ask is, what does he mean on account of me? If you believe in God and know who he is, have a relationship with Jesus, then here's something that you know about God. 
that there is not some cosmic battle between God and Satan. God's already won that. That they are not equals in the big titanic battle for your soul. God is, well, Jesus said it, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And and you believe and know that God is in control. In fact, the, the scriptural word, the theological word for this is sovereign, that God is all-powerful, that he is everything, that he is everywhere, and that he's in control. And here's what you know about the things that happen in your life. If that's true, then we don't really know. Maybe none of us in the room are wise enough to ponder the answer to the question. If something happens to me, then God either caused it or allowed it. I don't know which, but first it passed through his hands. And if that's true, then absolutely what Jesus says begins to ring true. That eventually, if my life isn't turning out the way I think it should, if something has occurred and I'm greatly disappointed with this turn of events, either something that somebody did to me or something that just unfolded in my life, or something that happens that doesn't have anything to do with me, just is the way life is, then I can begin to say, Lord, I don't know whether you caused this or whether you allowed it, but whatever's going on, I do not understand what you're up to. And I want some distance between me and you. Because I don't want any part of it. Jesus says to everyone who has ever felt that way, Blessed are you if you don't stumble on account of him. Now, here's just a a little framing that's important for you, just a reminder of something that we've talked about here at Castle Oaks once upon a time. So when you think about stumble, we usually think about sin or some other thing that we engage in that takes us away from God's presence or causes us to get stuck in our walk with God. When we understand sin theologically, we believe that there's a a mark that we're supposed to make or a bullseye that we're supposed to hit. And when we miss that bullseye, well, we have found ourselves in sin. In fact, this is the common understanding of what the Bible means about sin. In fact, the, the Greek word for sin that you find in the New Testament is hamartia. And the typical definition is that it means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. And it had to do with an archer who's aiming for, what's, what's he aiming for when the archer looks at the bullseye? Well, the very center of it. And so the archer aims for it, and when he doesn't hit that, he has missed the mark. And so our common understanding, maybe one that you grew up with if you grew up in church, is that the middle of the mark is moral perfection. Well, this would make sense. It's not true, but it seems to make sense because The Bible talks an awful lot about moral perfection. Well, you start with the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not, you fill in the blank, right? Kill, lie, covet, you name it. So then when we find ourselves in a place where there's truth and we decided it wasn't going to benefit us to tell the truth, we told a lie, then we have, in fact, missed the mark. Sin would be that by definition, But the Bible talks about the mark being something very different, not moral perfection. In fact, if there's anybody in the room that's made efforts toward moral perfection, how long did it last for you? Three seconds for some of you? Five minutes? Oh, we got a zero. That's good. That's the, yeah, yeah, that that took the cake. Nobody was near that sinful in first service. So you've, you've, you've set the bar. 
And so when we make this effort towards moral perfection, then we find ourselves falling short every time. The Bible describes the center of that bullseye, hamartia, missing the mark, sin. The center of that bullseye is union with God. It has nothing to do with your behavior. God has from the very beginning desired to walk in step with you, to be in relationship with you. Father, we point you to scripture so that you may know him, that you would feel known by him, all of these things. And so when Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, he's not talking about a moment in time when you fall off the path and do something you shouldn't do. He's talking about you putting distance between you and your relationship with God, deciding that you don't want to walk with God for right now because you don't understand him, because you're confused by him. Because life is turned upside down in such a way that, well, if he's in charge, I don't know if he knows what's up. I mean, if I were in charge, I would do it different. And so this stumbling that Jesus is describing, it doesn't have anything to do with you messing up. It has everything to do with you not walking with Jesus. But there's some context to this verse and it'll help paint the picture of what Jesus is describing. So we have to go back a couple verses before Jesus says this. And here's what he says. Go back to Matthew 11, start with verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him. And then we'll show a question here in a moment. But let's set the context. The John here isn't John one of the disciples, but do you know who the John was? John the... That's right, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a, well, he was a cousin of Jesus's. Maybe you remember his parents, his mom was Elizabeth, his dad was Zechariah. And Elizabeth was some sort of relation to Mary, a cousin, an aunt, something like that. So John the Baptist and Jesus were related somehow. Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't have kids, they were old and they had given up on the idea. God came and said, you're going to have a child. He's going to be incredible. He's going to be blessed. And he will be called by God to do some very unique things. And so Elizabeth became pregnant. She was pregnant with John. And from the very beginning of his life, he was dedicated for a very special purpose in God's story. And it was to go before Jesus and be what the prophet Isaiah and other prophets would call the forerunner. He would, he would prepare the way of the Lord is how it's worded. And John did this as he grew up, by the time he was probably close to 30 years old. He's probably about six months older than Jesus. God called him from the wilderness where he was raised, raised like a, a wild buck out in the wilderness of Israel, to begin his ministry. And so we're told that he, he wore this coat of camel's hair and his diet was Locusts, I mean, I guess you would have loved back east this year, right, with all the cicadas and just eating them all up. And that he ate these locusts and wild honey. This is what he did. He's strange. He's weird. He, he had these habits. But of course, all of the scriptural stories we know about the people that God's call, God calls as prophets, they're all just a little, bit, a little bit odd. And John was odd. So he begins his ministry and as he begins to preach, he's preparing the way for Jesus. And he does so by calling people out in their sin. So he stands out down near the River Jordan. He begins to call people sinners and call them to repentance. And when John did this, it seemed to divide the crowd in two. 
some people who didn't have anything to do with them, hearts hard, they responded like, sinner, well, you don't know anything about me. And they didn't want to face it, didn't want to think about it, didn't want to even consider it, and they went off hardening their heart further. Some people heard John call them a sinner and they said, how did you know? You're right. You just described me. And they came to him in humility with soft hearts. And this seemed to be the way that John prepared the way for Jesus. John came calling people to repentance and then Jesus shortly after would begin his ministry saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Before he began, though, he came down to the river and saw John. John sees him coming, and he points at Jesus, and he says, look, that's the Lamb of God. And Jesus comes down into the water and says, we're going to get baptized. John says, you should be baptizing me. Jesus says, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to baptize me. And when Jesus says that, that's usually what happens. And so John baptized Jesus, and they heard the voice of God and saw the Spirit come down like a dove. And John was there for all of it. Not too long after Jesus began his ministry, John continued his ministry, two ministries in tandem. The kingdom of God is at hand, and John's still calling people out in their sin. He began to speak truth to power, some of the political leaders in power, and called them out on their sin. They didn't like it. In fact, power hates it when you tell the truth. And this happens in churches, it happens in political settings, it happens at your work, it happens in your family. When truth is spoken to power and power has the ability to silence it, that's what they do. And so they did. They arrested John and put him in prison. John is in prison when this verse kicks off, this chapter. John, who was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And when he is about to ask Jesus this question, he finds himself in a dark place. He's not sure. Life has not turned out like he thought it would turn out. And so he asks this question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? It's a great question. Are you the Messiah? Are you really who we think you are? If you're honest, and if life has turned a few things upside down for you, then you've asked the same question of God. Are you the one I should be praying to, or i got to figure this out myself? Is this just how things are, or can we expect something different? Because I thought we were in this together. I thought we were going to do great things together. I thought you were going to overthrow Rome and establish your kingdom, and I could at least watch it from the Jordan River. I had no idea that this was going to involve a prison sentence, and John has no hope that he will ever get out. And if you know the end of the story, well, it doesn't end well for John. I thought. Can I count on you? This is the question that we ask. It's the same question that John asks. And he's stuck. And he doesn't know what to do. You and I get stuck because we believe certain things about who God is and we make some assumptions about the way life should work. Here's one of the things that we believe. Among others, this is one of the truths we believe about God, and it is true that God is fair and just. In fact, this is absolutely bedrock true. You can count on this. It's true, capital T true, for all people, all times, all places. 
that God can't be anything but fair and just. He cannot. He, he can't be sneaky. He can't be capricious. He can't be vengeful. God can't play favorites. It's not what he does. His love is full. It's complete. And it is for everyone, for all people, all times, all places. And he is above that and equal to that, fair and just. It's one of our basic assumptions. And when we make this understanding and assumption about life, that God is fair and just, then we sometimes erroneously draw the wrong conclusion that if that's true, well, this also must be true. Therefore, life will be fair and just. How many of you have said to your kids, life isn't fair? And they wonder, if that's true, what does that mean about who God is? Now, we know that life isn't. We objectively know that this isn't true. And when somebody else has life happen to them, we can stand off from a distance and say, well, that's not why it happened that way. This is not who God is. We understand how these things occur. We live in a fallen world. You can finish the sentence a thousand different ways with your Christian understanding. But when it happens to you, when it happens in your life, and you begin to ask the questions. Now, I thought, I thought if I lived a certain way, then God would show up in this way. I thought if we obeyed, that God would bless. I thought if I were obedient, God would meet me in this, and these things wouldn't happen to me. I understand why they happen to people who make poor decisions. I understand why they happen to people who don't make good life choices. But for me and my family, uh, we expected something a little bit different. Did I go to church all this while? Learn all the things I've learned only to be disappointed. Only to find out that God maybe doesn't even hear my prayers. And in that place, this is where John is when he asks this question. I know. I know I saw him. And I said he was the Lamb of God. I know. I, I heard God's voice and I saw the dove rest on him. But I need to know are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, just hit pause for just a moment. I can't believe that this question is in the Bible. I'm so grateful that it is. I can't believe that we get to peek inside of John's heart and his soul, John the Baptist, in this most honest and vulnerable way, and that it's recorded for us for all time. Because there are moments when you and I have to be so pushed toward gratitude that we don't even look at the reality of how difficult life is being right now. And in those moments, we can be around believers who are so positive about their life, we just want to punch them right in the face. And we want to say, I get it. I know God is good all the time. Amen. And all of that. However, right now, this is how I feel. And this is what I'm experiencing and I don't know what to do with God right now. So are you the one, or should we expect someone else? Are you going to come through, or are we going to just have to wrestle in quietness and loneliness? This is why I'm thankful it's in Scripture. Because in quiet moments, when you have to face difficult times, we all have this same question. And if John the Baptist, who heard the voice of God, can wrestle with this question, then so can I. So can I. 
And it's in the wrestling that we have to come to terms with what Jesus had to say. And it's in that moment that Jesus' answer kind of begins to point away for us. So Jesus sends back an answer. It's an interesting answer. And if you were looking for things to take a turn toward the better, it might not just yet. Are you the one? So Jesus, in that moment, says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Here's what he says. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's Jesus' answer to John. Now, it could be just me and my propensity towards a bit of self-pity here and there, and maybe I'm the only one that feels this way. Maybe there's one or two online that feel the same way. But when I see this answer that Jesus gives, my immediate reaction is, well, that's great for the blind dude. That's incredible. This is good. Good things are happening for them. But my mind wants to rest in this place. But what about me? Come on, God. Come on, I was with you. By all accounts, John had completed what we would call a Nazarite vow from the Old Testament. He had decided certain things would not be a part of his life and he would live a very certain way, very dedicated to God. It's a very specific kind of vow that Elizabeth and Zechariah pointed him toward because they knew God had called him to a level of obedience that is not normal for, for any of us. And John lived that way. Lord, are you telling me that we struck this bargain and I end up in prison? This is what's happening? This is, this is the, the fruit of my walk with you? I believe if I could crawl inside John's head, he didn't think that, but I would. And I have many times. Lord, are you the one? Can we count on you? What can we count on you for? How will you show up? I believe when John heard this answer from Jesus, so his disciples, they get this answer and they go back to the prison. For some reason, they had some privileges to communicate with him and they give him the answer. I, I believe when his disciples came back to John, this is what John thought. I don't know for sure. Just you know, throw it away if you want. But this is my perception. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. I believe John thought that there was a man who had not yet laid eyes on anything and now he could see. That there was a woman who had been segregated from her family because of her disease. And she was welcomed back in because she had been cleansed. That there were poor people that had no idea what liberation even meant or felt like. And the good news that was proclaimed to them changed them from the inside out. I believe that's what John heard. There's a moment in the Gospels where Jesus says, who I am is true for all people. Some days it will be true for you. And some days it will be true for your neighbor. And some days you will feel like it's not true for anybody. 
And so, blessed are you if when you see all of that happen and you read the headlines and you hear the story, you don't stumble because of me. You don't push me away. You don't decide distance is going to help you get through a hard time. Because in those moments, it will only be God's peace that allows you to gain any sort of perspective or understanding. So don't, don't walk for, away from me. Walk with me. What's the center of the bullseye? Union with God. That's when you're going to need me the most, when you have the deepest, most unanswerable questions. My favorite book about John the Baptist is a, a fictionalized account about this whole thing that he experiences. It, it's written by a man named Gene Edwards. It's, it's called The Prisoner in the Third Cell. It's a short book. It's, it's written kind of in the style of the chosen. It, it takes scripture and extrapolates. So it's, you know, some guesses about some things that occurred in John's life and in the prison and in conversations, but it articulates the depth of faith that John would have had. And even the depth of his questions, which many Christians are so hesitant to even look at. As the book begins to wrap up, Gene Edwards offers some of his own thoughts that are powerful and that are meaningful that I want you to read. I'm going to say them with my voice as well, so if you want, you can just close your eyes. But this is near the end. It's after he's told most of the story, but his words are powerful and meaningful. A day like that which awaited John awaits us. It awaits us all. It is inevitable because every believer imagines God to be a certain way and is quite sure the Lord will do certain things under certain conditions. But your Lord, well, he is never quite what you imagined him to be. You have now come face to face with a God whom you do not fully understand. And you have met a God who has not lived up to your expectations. Now, this is probably true in your life. It's true of my life. But what he says, I believe, is true for all of us, that every believer must come to grips with a God who did not do things quite the way it was expected. That is a brave step to take as a follower of Jesus, is to understand that place and step into it without fear. When we do that, I believe God looks at us and says, now we're, now we're dealing. Now we're moving somewhere. I got you. got your heart. And so today, some of you here listening online, you may be resentful of those who so callously hurt you. But no, not really. The truth is you are angry with God because ultimately you are not dealing with people. You are dealing with the sovereign hand of of your Lord behind all events behind all things there is always his sovereign hand this truth you know deeply and profoundly that if God is God then he is sovereign and so Edwards is going to frame the question for us and it's one that is worth remembering pondering so the question is not, why is God doing this? The question is not, why is he like this? The question is not, why does he not answer me? 
The question is not, I need him desperately. Why, why does he not come rescue me? The question is not, why did God allow this tragedy to happen to me, to my children, to my wife, to my husband, to my family? Nor is it, why does God allow injustices? Every one of those questions is a place to stumble. Every one. They'll take you on a fool's errand. It's down a detour you don't need to take. You can go there if you want. We all do a little bit. But it won't be helpful to you. The real question at hand, he says, the question before the house is this. Will you follow a God you do not understand? Will you follow a God who does not live up to your expectations? Your Lord? Well, your Lord has put something in your life which you cannot bear. And the burden is simply too great. He was never supposed to do this. But the question remains. It's the only question worth asking. Will you continue to follow this God who did not live up to your expectations? This is exactly what John the Baptist has to wrestle with and why he says, are you the one? What's he saying? Can we trust you? Are you the Messiah? Can I put the full weight of my problems in your hand? Can I surrender to you? Now, those questions are deep, existential. They're thoughtful. They are not likely banter for Sunday lunch. But they are the questions that if you will wrestle with them in the quietness of a, a thoughtful moment, that when life does happen to you, it helps create a faith that is sturdy. If you find yourself not shrinking back from those difficult questions, then you will likely hear the quiet voice of Jesus say, well, then blessed are you. You did not stumble because of me. Let me guide you through a bit of a prayer. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. So Lord, there are many of us in this room that resonate with John's feelings. We have questions and we don't have answers. And we're not sure we like the answers we're getting because our life is what it is. And so we ask that the words that Jesus spoke will become more alive and real to us. And may we not put distance between you and us. May we not allow the difficulty of life, which happens to every one of us, cause us to seek solace somewhere else. Just like Peter said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage to confront some of the most fearful difficult, painful questions. I mean, we prefer easier days, but we also want a faith that is sturdy and strong and that can see us through pain. Difficulty. Lord, we come to this place with gratitude in our hearts for the compassion that Jesus showed, saying out loud 
in this conversation about John, that there are going to be things in our lives that are going to cause us to stumble. And it's stuff that comes at the hand of God, at the hand of Jesus. And he says, oh, you'll be so blessed if you don't allow these things to completely trip you up. So just trust me. Meet me here. So many reasons to trust and give thanks and allow gratitude to flow. And so we do that now. So Lord, we ask that you will meet us in this moment. Help us to open-handedly surrender more fully to you and express our trust in you, knowing that your love for us is complete and full. We ask this in the name of Jesus. We all say together, amen.